Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Man, um, I'm excited really to share um, a couple a couple of different things, but before I, I share... Um, the message. I just want to share my heart from yesterday. Um, I was I was just in Area Kids a little bit earlier, and uh, uh, Megan's sons they were just like, "You were on TV." I was like, "What?" I was like, "Okay, I didn't I didn't see it." Um, but they're like, "Yeah, you were on TV," and um, they were talking about being yesterday at uh, Love Life um, Charlotte. We were out there, and um, man. I really think that that was a situation that was um, an occurrence in my life that I really feel like changed the way I just viewed the world. Like, I mean, it was that big. Um, not that I'd never, it wasn't that I was pro-choice. Like, don't get me wrong, don't start, don't start judging me, okay. Um, but what it was was, was that I was ignorant of, of a lot of things in the world. And my upbringing had led me blind to a lot of things. I mean blind. Not not blind to what abortion is, but blind to that it is the devil's tactic right now in the world to kill off joy-filled believers of the future that can change the world. So as I take a couple of minutes just to really just I guess try to sum up just what was in my heart. Um, yesterday, it was incredible the amount of warfare that was happening that particular day. I mean, maybe it's like this every Saturday, but yesterday there were a lot of protesters, counter-protesters, basically, um, and driving. So this is the setup. At Love Life, you gather first and you worship together, um, you know, at like the front of the road, and then you they take you in a car. Yesterday they were treating me like I was like, somebody you know like everybody's walking down there i get to ride down there they even opened the door for me to get in i'm like man look at this i told nathan i said i was getting that treatment because he was with me you know um nathan barefoot was with me and, and pastor alex said this he said the one time i leave my son with you y'all make the news what in the world i was like i'm sorry man <laughs> like um but anyways and so we, we we get in the car and we're we passed the um love life uh, peaceful protesters that are walking down there um, and we're driving and we see these big signs that people are holding up and immediately something just like whew, just hit my just hit me and and I was like what what does that say it says keep going don't stop basically do it and about every 10 yards from that point forward was another person holding a sign for a potential mother who might have been contemplating pulling out at that point, aiding in this, this decision for death. And I was just impacted. I was like, whoa, whoa, man, like, it, there was nothing more demonic I had really seen face to face that way outside of a physical manifestation of a demon, a person. But to see such an organized attack of the enemy, while most Christians are at home on Saturday just getting their to-do list done, not praying for the overall battle that we're in, right? 
there was this conviction of the Lord that just kind of came over me. And I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. This is crazy. And I, I, there was something in me that did rile up that was like, man, oh, we got to do something. But God just said, what can you do? The only thing you can do is be before me the way that you've been before me in the presence of God. And so that's what I did. It was just worship right there in the midst of all of this, like, crazy war and all this stuff begin to worship the story is really pivotal for where i'm going today in philippians as we talk about it but one of my thoughts and i don't mean to start just kind of catchy but i really want if someone's listening online or if you're here and you're a brown or a brown or a black person listen to me what i'm saying this i as a son of culture as a son of just society was completely blind to how this impacted people who are brown and black I'm going to say that one more time, okay? Completely blind. So this means this. I could buy into the lie that Planned Parenthood does way more for women's health, which they do, listen. But the place where they do the stuff for women's health as far as helping them with needs and things like that, uh, it's a completely different place than that abortion clinic. Totally different. Totally different office, totally different address, all that is totally different. And what I was challenged by was this, was as we were praying, there were some stories that um, kind of came forth as far as uh, what we begin to see. Um, there was two girls that I saw very visibly pregnant and they were walking towards the abortion clinic and I'm directly in front of this abortion clinic looking over there. And it's just, if I'm doing a sucky job describing it, I'm sorry, but there was so much that was just happening in this moment. And I was just trying to breathe in this moment of, God, you really have me like right here on the front line. And what am I going to do? Am I just going to complain that this is an issue or am I going to take my heavenly place and actually do warfare in the spirit? So I began to pray in the spirit, pray in the spirit. There were other people obviously intercessing. There were other uh, sidewalk counselors and all these different things. Um, and I, I remember my heart was breaking so much as I watched this girl who was very visibly pregnant walk in that door. And I said, oh, my goodness. God, let her choose life. God, let like just. I don't know if I can take if she like I mean I don't know if I thought there would have been like an instant type of thing or whatever it's like a basketball didn't be flat I don't I don't I don't know but for me I was praying I was like Lord can you change this can can you can you can you show her that there's another way you can show there's life all this stuff and you kind of feel almost hopeless because in that span of about about thirty minutes there's about six cars that pulled up all whipping in getting whisked away by rainbow umbrellas. Yeah, that was something too. There was this connection that I just saw of just demonic forces aligning just a little bit much. And it was too much to be able to overlook. That's what I'm saying. So I see this girl get out the car. She gets out the car. Well, she, she goes into the abortion clinic. She comes out. You can see that she is contemplating this weighty decision, heavy. And there's like a crowd of people with her. She gets into the car and we were still praying. I don't know what caused her to get out, but there's this huge bus, like huge big bus where uh, girls can go and get a free ultrasound. Because I think one of the biggest tactics of the enemy is once they're in there, not to let them actually see that there's actual life in them. Amen. You can catch that for yourself. The biggest tactic of the enemy is to get you to actually see that there's no that, that there's that there's actual life in you. 
So I see her come out. She gets in the car, and I'm just like, man, this is heavy. This is super heavy. Why is this heavy for JP? Because I personally know of at least three or four individuals in my family that have had abortions. I'm talking real close. I'm not talking about like third cousin removed. I'm saying like mother, sister, brother, auntie, uncle, those type of people, okay? And I watched this girl. I don't know what happened, but the spirit of the Lord just came down and like we kept worshiping. She gets out of the car and she begins to talk to the sidewalk counselor. I'm like, yes, God. And this older lady that was with her just got out of the car as well. And they, um, the sidewalk counselor began to just love on her, really, and walked her over to the bus where it was. And, and you could just feel a shifting happening in the spirit, tangible shifting. If you need faith, I encourage you. Sometimes some of you might feel discouraged or feel like you're not qualified. I encourage you to go to a situation like that with mature believers so that you can build your faith because it would do one of two things. It would either absolutely grow your faith or you would just feel like there's no hope in the world at all. But I guarantee you it's going to grow your faith. And so we watch her get on this bus and we're praying. And around, right around that time, we were singing, shine your light, and it was mighty to save. And so shine your light, let the whole world sing. And I, I feel like I got this prophetic vision of the Lord saying that there was a light that we were, that we were allowing him to shine through us that was literally affecting someone. Well, it's the older lady that's outside the bus. She's just getting smited with the Lord. She's crying, all this stuff. And then she goes inside of the, of the, uh, of the bus. We don't know if they chose life. I have a high percentage that it probably happened because I felt the Lord on that 100%. My challenge is this, to people like me who are brown, black, indifferent, this is, this is my challenge. What I saw there was that the only people that were there to really care didn't look like her. Now I'm gonna say this. Online, I have a lot of people that listen to anytime I speak and stuff. And this is, I say this from the heart, man. If black lives really matter, then those lives matter too. You know what I'm saying? And if those lives matter, guess what? Black lives matter too. You know what I'm saying? It, it does, it, there's no substitute. So I was profoundly impacted by that yesterday. And for the sake of time, I think I'm going to spend most of this, I'm going to talk about what I've got for Philippians, but I really want to talk about Paul and the Philippian jailer. Say that to your neighbor. Say the Philippian. Can you say that to your neighbor? The Philippian. I know I might have spoke Ebonics real quick. might have talked fast, but the Philippian jailer. Thank you. All right. So when I was a teacher, it was always interesting to see what students did their homework and which ones did not. Now, I'm not here to sit here and condemn or throw stones, but we were reading the book of Philippians this week. All right. And so today, what I was going to try to do and what I'm going to try to do still is to be able to give you what God was giving me as I was reading through the book of Philippians. And I want to do it in the way that Pastor Brock has given us such a tool of. Um, and it's this method where we can have the scripture first. Then we can be able to have a, anybody done it? Observation. Um, the next one, there we can highlight an application. And the last step is to pray. Now, if you know of this, this is the heart. The church is not trying to do something else to just bash you or hit you over the head and say, you're not doing this. But we recognize that if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, if no one's in the word of God, where are they going to hear? 
If no one's hearing, where are they going to have faith? And for us to know that truth and be irresponsible with it and to not give tools and to not have a burden for how do we actually do something about it would just be hypocritical. Amen. So we pick up in Philippians and I, I want to look at my first point there. Um, and I'm going to camp out here at Philippians 1, 21. It's very simple. It's very familiar. We've heard this before over and over. It says to me to live is and to die is. I want you to understand something about the Apostle Paul. This is not an easy statement right now where he is because he says these words from prison. He's been jailed. He's been locked away, even unjustly. But he finds a way to be able to communicate that, hey, to me, to live is actually Christ and to die is gain. A lot of us like to use this whenever, you know, someone dies. Well, child, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But my question to you is this, is that my observation first was this. My observation was, was that to the Apostle Paul, life's greatest joy was to know Christ. Say that to your neighbor. Say to know Christ to know Christ. There's a Greek word there that says genosko, and that means to know, to know intimately. He knew Christ. It was not that this was his Christian response or his Sunday school obligation, but Paul, to live, meant that he understood that life's greatest joy was to actually know Messiah. My question to you this morning, and this is what I found whenever I went yesterday, was that I was leading worship with two churches that were there, and they were believers by title. But when we actually got to the war, I did not find the light of Christ in most of them that were in the group. Most were obs was observing, oh my goodness, what's happening and all these different things. What are we doing on Sunday? We should be preparing you to be able to go and impact this culture. Revival is, 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 revival is not just a service. Revival is not just a happening in a building, but revival is a renewing of mind back to a formlessness that's only found in kingdom. What do I mean by formlessness? This is what I mean. Is that your religious life, your life with Christ should not be a formula. Your life with Christ should not be a check box. Your life with Christ should be formlessness so that he can form you. The apostle Paul understood that regardless of whatever circumstance he was in, wherever he found himself, he knew that because his formlessness, whatever God formed in him would give God glory. If Paul understood it to be a formula, well, God, I read my Bible. I prayed. I did this. Why did I end up in jail? This is what happens with a me-based faith. It's a false gospel. You believe that just because you're doing something for God, you are so, you, that you are so immune from suffering. I'm here to tell you that sometimes God will use suffering to get him glory suffering it, it is not it, it listen listen to what i'm saying suffering is not for salvation i want i want to very very clearly put that out there suffering is not for salvation you are not going to save because of how hard you suffer for god but suffering is linked to sanctification say that word sanctification it is linked to that because it shows me where i'm not depending on him Suffering breeds a need for God that says, I don't, I thought that I knew, I thought, I thought that I was good, but this suffering has brought out that God, I got doubt. 
I thought I trusted you, but this suffering has highlighted that I actually had an area where I didn't trust you. So the observation that the Apostle Paul says life's greatest joy is to know him. My application and my question is, what is it to live for you? I know we're in church, so you'd say, oh, of course it's Christ. But I'm going to tell you this. Your time is going to tell you what it is to live. Where you spend your time is going to tell you the real answer for what it is to live. The Apostle Paul says, to live for me is Christ. To die is gain. He says this because he's not just saying some perfect quote. He's saying this because he lives it out with his life. His time is spent with Christ. His time reflects his values. Your time reflects your values. My time reflects my values. And as we're sitting here today, we have to ask the question, Lord, for me to live, is it really you? Or do I just want God insurance? Do I just want to feel good about now and hope for later? The Apostle Paul is in a prison, yet and still encouraging the saints around him. He's in a prison, and he's still encouraging people around you. The last time you were in a tough situation, what did you find yourself doing? Complaining about where you were or giving God glory anyway? Some of us, we have it backwards. God is wanting a humility and an authentic praise from you, but you are trying to, you're trying to avoid humility and you say, I don't want to look fake, so I'm not going to praise anyway. I'm going to say that one more time. It's a real thing. I see it all the time. I'm like, hey man, how about you praise through that? Man, I just don't want to seem fake though, man. No, you are fake. As is, you're fake, bro. Like, I mean, come on. God's the only thing that's really true. You're not praising because of how you feel. You're praising because of who he is. If Paul was praising because of how he felt, we wouldn't get the letters. We wouldn't get Philippians. We would not get the encouragement that he writes from a jail cell, that he writes from a, a Roman jail cell, and he writes this in a way because he's walking with Jesus in such a way that people around him see that however he's spending his time, he's, he's with God. He's with Jesus. So our prayer for this point, and, I, and I'm going through this because I want you to understand this is not intimidating. Y'all, this is one verse. But I'm going to tell you, there's three different, three different perspectives that I had with this one verse. So you can do it. You can do it. 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, whatever it takes. So last thing is prayer. For this point here, Father, help us live for you. Say that. Father, help us live for you to be motivated by your spirit. That's a simple prayer for that point. That's a simple prayer. Father, help us be motivated by you. Don't help me just be a Christian in America that knows how to listen to Caleb and just knows how to read every Billy Graham book. Don't let, don't let me fall into that because you created my life to have more power than just that. I'm telling you right now, we've, we've been hearing words of revival being spoke over our church. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add to that the same way. But I've, I've done some research because I've, I've kind of got a heart for this thing that's, that's just been bubbling up. I've seen some revivals that came. I've researched that, that came quickly. And guess what? They ended quickly. 
A revival that's sustained is sustained because people have been praying for the ground. Oh man, I'm gonna just stop here for just one second. Y'all, we have got to get past this mindset that we're here to hear a sermon. We're here because we're all working in the vineyard and we're coming here to get encouragement because it's hard as heck out there. Okay, I might be talking to two or three of you, but life is hard on the other side. Life is hard out there, and you got two examples to do. You can sit there and say, oh, man, I hate my job. Man, this boss and this. Or, you know what? That person's a really difficult person to love, but Jesus is gracing me to love them. That breeds forth revival. Philippian, uh, Philippi was a place that did not have many Christians. If you look at the account of Acts 16, you will find out how Paul swept that place, how, 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 Paul, how the Lord led Paul to a place, and Paul began to establish a church at Philippi. And he establishes it with the most, the most unique of people. For the, in that time, religious people, they would say, oh, well, I'm glad that I'm not like this, this one, the slave, or I'm glad I'm not like the woman. I'm glad I'm not like this person, the outcast, the Gentile. And Paul begins to use these people who are outcasts to build the kingdom of God. Last question on this. Are you in a place to where you're so church that God can't use you? Are you so religious-minded that if God told you to do something so uncharacterized of your natural self that you wouldn't do it? Because to live to Christ, to live as Christ is such a challenge, man. Such a challenge. I was challenged by this on the men's retreat. I'm just not thinking about this. But to me, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Next point. Next observation. The Apostle Paul finds joy in blessing others. He finds joy in it. I want to show you this. Let's, uh, let's look at verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. And it says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the what? Of the gospel. Paul is thinking about others. In the midst of being tortured. I want you to understand when Paul is writing this letter, he has spent countless hours being stretched out on a wall with the guard assigned to him. And three times a day, there would be a changing of this guard. And Paul looked at it as an opportunity to minister to this guy while he's in prison. There was no greater joy to the Apostle Paul than to be in the opportunity that, God, you've placed me in this prison for whoever is here every eight hours. Can you imagine fundamental teachings with the Apostle Paul? I know you got your favorite preacher, but the Apostle Paul now. And these guards were assigned to him because he couldn't move. They wanted to make sure that, he, that that's the Roman way that they would assign a guard to you as you are physically being tortured in a prison cell. Jail today ain't got nothing on them. 
And he looks at it, he looks at it as an opportunity because he constantly is thinking about others. It goes on even in this verse to be able to say, and even in this chapter to be able to say this, he says, I wish that I would just die. I, I, if it was up to me, I wish I could just go on and be with Jesus. But because of you, I see that God wants to work something else out. And so I'm willing to go through this. I'm willing to endure this because of you. I want you to understand something. Paul did not have unsanctified mercy there. He was not trying to get credit. He was not trying to save people of an impending doom that was not God's will. He was simply hearing the heart of God and saying, God is, God is pleased with what we're doing. So if it means me sacrificing something, that's what I'm willing to do. The application question here is this, is does our suffering glorify God? Are situations being used to bless those around us? Y'all, I couldn't help but think about this, this guard yesterday as I was at the uh, abortion clinic. And the, 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 um, the hard thing to really kind of fathom here was what position do the police have? Like, think about it for a second. If you're a, if you're a gospel-centered individual, you've given your heart to Christ, but you're also employed by the state to stand there in between these two imposing sides of highly spiritual activity. What do you think? What do you do? And who's ministering to them? The Apostle Paul took the opportunity to be able to minister to those who were even around him, who had even caused them close to death. And I was just looking at this yesterday, and I just had a heart for those officers. My prayer point with this, as I'm getting ready to move on, is this, is that, Lord, let us have a heart for those around us. Let grace be lived out in us, God. Let grace be lived out in us. There's so many, there's so many of us who forget grace when it comes to other people, but want it for ourselves. This is why the gospel, the gospel of Jesus turned Rome upside down because Rome was a society a lot like America. Selfish. Wanted to be pardoned but did not want to pardon anyone. We want our sins to be forgiven as long as it doesn't involve someone else being forgiven. Because when someone does me wrong, I want vengeance. I want it to get back to them. I want all these different things. But the gospel of grace says this, and I'm not talking about uh, uh, um, a doctrine of cheap grace where it's just, oh, live however you want because there's grace for that. That's not grace at all. Grace is God empowering us. He empowers us. And it's not true grace if it's just me feeling good about sin. It's not. It's a counterfeit. So, Lord, give us the grace to live this out in us. My last observation is the one that really, really just kind of sticks out for me. Is that God will place us in situations of suffering for him to use for the salvation of others. Say salvation. Salvation. Now, remember I told you, suffering is not about your salvation. But suffering can lead to someone else's salvation. Amen. In Acts 16, we find this account of this is of the of, of the Philippian jailer, and he is the one now assigned to the apostle Paul. And Paul 
is still in jail, and, it's, and it finds there, it says that Paul and Silas are singing. I don't get the picture that Paul could really sing, you know what I'm saying, because he constantly talks about how he's not charming or not the best as far as visible specimen and all this stuff. I don't get the picture that he could sing. But praise God, right? Yes, because there's hope for y'all, some of y'all that can't sing. <laughs> Choir ministry ain't the only ministry for you, you know what I'm saying? The Apostle Paul, he was holding it down. Now, he's there. I want you to envision. No, really, I, I really want you to envision this. He understands this. He understands what suffering is. He's literally being stretched out. Do you understand? The, the gospel was real to Paul. He knew that Christ suffered for him. If he didn't understand that Christ suffered for him, that suffering being stretched out probably would have killed him. But he gained confidence in the fact that God had been faithful to Jesus Christ. And he was there, and it says, the, it says there in that account that they would begin singing. And we know the account that happens, that the, the jail begins to shake, and the, the, prison, the prison doors swing open. And the one that's assigned to Paul this time now pulls out his sword and has his sword at his neck. About to take his own life. Because at that time, if you were a part of the Roman guard and someone got away from you, you paid with it with your own life. So he just figured he was going to go ahead and knock himself out. He, didn't, he wanted to be saved to save the misery. The Apostle Paul, at this point, facing freedom that he rightfully deserved. An option for freedom, an option to leave, an option to get out, uses this situation. He sees it. He sees his opportunity, and he, and he walks this guy to salvation. I don't know what situation you're in, but could it be that the Lord wants to use it for someone to come to him? Yesterday, I was in a situation that was very clear. God wanted to get my attention. I've been praying for revival for our city, been, been meeting people and other revivalists that have believed the same thing. And I know it's going to happen. I know our church is going to play a great role in that. But abortion was not on my radar. But could it have been the very thing that God wants to really use? It's right there the whole time that we're just overlooking. I left that situation yesterday and I said, you know what? I've got to tell people of the seriousness of what's happening here. Love Life didn't have to endorse me or any of that, promise me nothing. It was the Holy Spirit that brought about repentance in the heart of a believer. What is God asking you to give to him this morning? The Apostle Paul finds himself in a tough situation. So if your life is, if your life is kind of sucky, it's not as bad as the Apostle Paul, I, I guarantee it. You're not hanging on a wall for multiple hours of a day with someone assigned to you. But even if you were, would you minister to God? Would you still give him your praise? What I found, and I told Nathan this yesterday, and, and man, kudos to Nathan. He's such a strong dude. Like, he's, he's young, but he's strong. Like, I, I, I walked away calling him, like, the prophet Nathan or something because he was just so strong yesterday. Like, I was shook. I'm not going to lie. I was a little shook. But Nathan, some, maybe it's something about being over six foot that just gives you confidence. You know what I'm saying? He's, he is 
right in. And his confidence, like, I mean, like, I had to let him know that I was confident. I was like, yeah, I'm confident in God. I'm so... He's like, nah, man, we're doing battle today. I was like, yes. This brother was here to just play guitar for me. God, God lined that up. Because if I would have went by myself, I don't know. I, I'm just being real with y'all. Like, you know, y'all can judge, whatever. But I'm being real. In that moment, I had this tendency to shrink back. But it was the confidence of a brother that said, no, we're going to do work. And I said, yes, we are. <laughs> yes. And then we make the news. I mean, that's just a bonus, you know. <laughs> Who is attached? Whose breakthrough is attached to your, your situation right now? Whose deliverance is attached to how you handle simple acts of obedience right now? For me, there could be thousands, countless millions of, of babies that I begin to speak for because my eyes are open. And I don't sit blind at family reunions or Christmas gatherings or Thanksgiving dinners and say, hey, man, this is something that's plaguing our society and specifically my community. You know, I believe that whenever our church has a heart for this, and when our church has a heart for just people, just let's just say God first, a heart for Jesus the way that he intends, we begin to love people differently. And because we love people differently, we represent those people. And you don't need a political campaign to just get more people in this community, in this church. My heart was gripped. My heart was, was reached. Like, the Lord just, mm. And the question that I left with was to me, what does it mean to live? So I ask you that. We're going to dismiss here in a moment, but I'm just asking you, to you, what does it mean to live? Is your, are, you, are you so bought into a political system that for you to live is success in the American dream? A pension? Financial wealth? Is that, to, is that living to you? To you to live, is it just getting all your dreams accomplished, hitting all your goals? You know, like, if I'm honest for a second, my generation has this real interesting view on life because we were told this, you know what, you make good grades in school. Why? Because you want to do well in school so that you promote yourself. And then as you get through with high school, you go into what? College. And then at the end of college, it's like because you were great with promoting, you were great with following directions, you're supposed to end up, you probably have a good job, but that didn't work. It's more important, if you're a parent and you're thinking about how to do this at your house, it's more important that you establish strong integrity in your student, in your family, rather than just good behavior. It's not just about making grades. Some students are like, Mom, see, I told you. <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is about you being rooted in Christ. You living for Christ. Because regardless of if there's a job at the end of a term, and regardless if there is money at the end of something that you thought there would be, there will always be Christ. There will always be Christ. And as long as you preach that, you will never preach a me-focused gospel. It will always be a he-focused gospel. And that will always be something worth living for. Amen? 
I just want to give you this sneak peek here. If you're uh, taking this challenge, if you haven't took the challenge, please, please take this challenge with your family. Get into this word this week with your family. I want to just give a sneak peek here with Galatians here. This week, explore how seeing the world through um, through the grace of Jesus brings freedom to the world around us. Amen. There's so many people who are stuck in legalism, trying to find their own way to the presence of God, trying to create their own formula. It's not about formula. It's about formlessness. Amen. So that he can form us. Let's pray this in. God, we thank you, Lord God, so much that you are real to us. We thank you that you empower us by your spirit to move. And so, God, I pray, Lord God, if there are people in this room under the sound of our voice today, God, I pray that you are convicting hearts, Lord God. But, Lord God, you are doing more than just uh, only making someone, Lord God, see their condition. But, Lord, you are giving them tools to get out of it. God, you're giving them tools, Lord God, to, to, to see that there's someone attached to the situation of suffering that they might be going through. And that, Lord God, there's pure joy found in Jesus Christ. So God, we pray, Lord God, as we leave from this place, that God, our hearts are stirred to ask the question, what are we living for? To us, what is life? And God, if it's not Christ, convict us, mold us, empower us to live. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.